0: Welcome everyone, I'm Sam Sebastian, and you're listening to How Are You Doing Really? In today's episode, I'm joined by my friend, David Robinson. David is an educator, an activist, and a bird lover. He shares about his experience of the current world pandemic and also what he's been up to with getting involved with various organizations around the upcoming election. He has a, a wealth of knowledge in activism and actually started out in the 1980s with an organization called ACT UP, uh, which he references as the Gay Liberation Movement. And he, he just has a lot of wisdom and experience in the field of activism. And I'm really uh, just grateful for the knowledge that he shares with all of us in this episode in addition to just his experience along the way and um, how keeping it in balance is really important, Um, keeping your life in balance, not just putting all of your time and energy into one thing and and not uh, taking care of the other parts of yourselves. So I'm uh, just really honored and grateful to have had him on today and I hope that you all enjoy. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sam Sebastian, and today I'm joined by my friend David Robinson. Uh, And David and I, we met, I think, about a year ago, potentially a little bit longer, uh, but I know that we were at Easton Mountain um, for a week-long Tantra retreat that I was facilitating at. So was my partner, Finn. Um, and yeah, just really enjoyed getting to know you a bit more, uh, in in that setting and yeah, just a really special being that I've, I've come into contact with, that's for sure. (laughs) I know that, uh, you've, you've lived quite the life and have just been a very, um, I my perception of you has just been a really inspiring person in all the communities that you uh, kind of fly in and out of. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're, uh, you're a teacher,
1: correct? Yes, I am.
0: Yeah, amongst other things.
1: Yeah. Right now, in terms of uh, earning a living, I'm an English teacher at a nerdy little private school in Oakland. But I've been a, I was a college professor, uh, English-led and LGBT studies. And uh, gosh, there's usually teaching involved in, I'd say most things I've done except dance and probably, uh, there was one other, but it, it, oh, I was going to say activism, but that's not true. <laughs> There's often teaching involved in that too. So yeah, maybe modern dance is about the only thing that I was not, I didn't do any kind of teaching in.
0: How um, how did you get into modern dance? If you don't mind me asking.
1: <laughs> uh, it was both something that, was maybe preordained because when I was a little kid, apparently, I mean, like really little, I used to, uh, as my grandmother and mother would say, David was forever springing. I was always jumping and leaping. And I would dance upstairs to uh Chitty Chitty Bang Bang to the album, <laughs> to that. <laughs> we would make little dances upstairs to that. Um, and before college, I actually, I started Oh, well, I did a year of tap dance uh, when I was in seventh grade. Uh, I had fallen in love with like um, Hollywood musicals, especially Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers musicals and Gene Kelly. And so I I took a year of tap and I was in an an adult beginner class and I was the only non-adult. I was a seventh grader and I absolutely I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But, you know, by the end of that year, uh, say going into the next year is when I started getting bullied for being gay and, or being a sissy. I didn't even know gay yet, but I did know there was a kid in town who had gone to my elementary school who had done ballet. Like he used to be in the, the Nutcracker every year in town. And in response to being you know, made fun of and bullied, he turned into a tough kid, a bad kid. You know, like he started smoking, Mm. you know, probably before middle school and stuff. So I, I stopped, you know, I just did that one year and I didn't do any more. But then after the summer after high school, I took um, a ballet class with New New Jersey ballet. And then when I got into college, you know, you had to have a, um, a PE Fulfill a PE requirement, and so I took ballet, and I actually did it with with my roommate, my roommate Jim. I was like, "Hey, let's do this," and so he's he was game for it, but he was short and and wide and like moved like a guy, (laughs) so he stopped after a semester, and I kept taking it, and uh, I went to Princeton, and they had you know it's it's a very academic school but they had a very good theater and dance program and their modern dance teacher was this israeli woman, eva cohen who had been a soloist for a long time and even though she didn't have the most perfect technique as we would say in dance you know the she didn't do all the moves with what you look for when you're like judging a ballet dancer or you know things she, she was a really powerful artist, and she conveyed, particularly to the students, the joy of dance so well that I fell in love with it. And uh, so I kept taking modern dance classes, and then <laughs> i I tried out <laughs> I tried out for the one of the a cappella singing groups on campus, and I got a call back, but I didn't get accepted. So then I tried out for the, I auditioned for the modern dance group on campus and I got in and after a, I guess, uh, I was with them for the first semester of my sophomore year and then I had done a lot of AP classes in high school. So I accumulated enough credits that I was actually able to take a semester off. And what I did with that semester was, uh, I took dance classes in New York. So I took modern dance and ballet Uh, and I, (laughs) but the modern dance company, or yeah, troop at Princeton had this rule that you had to dance for them two semesters in a row before you could take a a semester off without having to re-audition. So I was really nervous. So I came down every weekend because I I moved back with my parents close to New York, but I came down every weekend to rehearse with Expressions, our dance group. Little did I know that like if you were a man and could walk across the stage and not fall down, you were in <laughs> because it was so hard to get any man, you know, really. So uh, so I really fell in love with it in college. And um, I even got to combine it with some of my academic work. With I, I had to do a junior paper. Uh, we all had to do like a research paper junior year. And I, I did one on um, – At my advisor's suggestion, she pointed out that Jane Austen novels had a lot of uh, balls and a lot of dances. She said, why don't you do do that? Write on dance in, in Jane Austen's novels. And so I did and put together a performance with people, you know, other students that I taught, like, dances of the Jane Austen period. So I would, like, go and learn these historical reconstruction I'd go to these uh, classes. I remember there was one in Prospect Park in Brooklyn where they, it was, a, it was like a 18th century ball. <laughs> and, you know, I, I learned the minuet. I learned uh, an early waltz. And so anyway, we did, like, I got to do this performance. Unfortunately, it was before the days when you videotaped everything and cell phones didn't exist. Um, this is in the 1980s. But I did, we did the performance. I wrote the paper and um, I ended up deciding that, you know, when I got out of college, I was going to try to be a dancer. So I ended up, you know, I moved to New York and took um, modern dance classes and ballet for modern dancers. And uh, eventually started auditioning just for the fun of it. Like, my teacher, Zaeva, had advised me that she said, You should start auditioning before you even want to get anything because it's a great way to like learn a choreographer some of their moves and to learn to be less nervous when you audition. So I auditioned for two or three things. And I don't know, it was like the second or third audition I went to that I, I got into that company. I actually fell down during one when we learned uh, what they call a combination, you know, uh, a combination of steps, you know, to like, it's sort of like a a section of a dance. And so at one point I fell down and I just got up and kept dancing. And (laughs) flash forward a few months when I was with the company, you know, dancing with the company, the choreographer got really frustrated with me one day and she said, you're not dancing like you did when you auditioned. When you auditioned, you were like free and open, and and now you're like you know nervous, and <laughs> I was like, yeah, because I didn't care then. <laughs> it was a good good lesson though. But yeah, I ended up actually leaving the only doing one semester, one season with the company, and they offered me a position with the company. But I felt I needed more technique, so I went into uh, uh, a ma- a master's program, an MFA program in dance. But that's also, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but that's also when I got very involved in AIDS activism. So the two ended up really being kind of in, in conflict. But, but you were going to say <laughs> about the <laughs> being free.
0: Well, you know, it, it, I, I think it's, it's really just by asking how you got in involved in in dance just led to so much like history of your life. Um, and I, I love that. I'm, I'm really, (laughs) uh, a fan of supporting what excites people. And I just, I hear the excitement as you, you talk about these experiences and how it just led you to one thing after the other. And I think what I also hear is just this, um, part of you that that really is is up for stepping into the unknown and uh, and putting your your best foot forward and 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 following that and and really listening to your your heart Um, because it I mean it it turned into something that you pursued <laughs> um and and i think one thing about being uh, a gay man and and movement and also mm. just especially as a younger younger man um there there is a lot of judgment that can kind of come from our peers and mm-hmm. our friends and There's also this like cultural, like expectation of what a man is supposed to be or a boy is supposed to do. And I think about when I was younger, like around 11, I loved doing gymnastics and and my parents put me into it and did it for about a year. And then my dad just all of a sudden one day was like, no, you can't do that anymore. That's for girls, not for boys. And I was just so heartbroken, you know. Like I, I loved it. It, it was yeah. it, it. It really. I, I felt alive. I felt excited. It was something I look forward to. Yeah. I was learning how to use my body in a way that I hadn't necessarily done before, or practiced, I guess. Um, and and I'm sure with dance, there's probably a similar uh, aspect. But um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that and. I think I uh, I really want to kind of come back to the the, the question that I typically uh, ask people yeah. at the, <laughs> the beginning of of the podcast, um, which is how are you doing really, and and yeah, just what's what's been up for you emotionally um, during this tumultuous time that we're living in.
1: Well, how I'm doing really at this moment is, I'd say, different from how I was before talking with you already. Um, I'm more open-hearted and, you know, on the verge of tears, and also, you know, feeling joy and sadness at once. So, uh, which is a good thing. How I'm? It's the, I find this the hardest question to answer these days. Probably because I, I have felt so, so up and down, you know, really big mood swings. Um, you know, we've talked some just, you know, offline about the politics that's happening now terrifies me. The fact that we are so close to uh, an election that's the most important one I've ever seen and that anyone I know no matter how old has ever seen um, and And yet there are very few people and I am not one of them who have devoted like I was just on a webinar that was by a small group of people who have been trying to they have been researching where donations can do the most good, be the most effective. Uh, I'll throw in a sports reference, even though I told you that's the one thing I don't want to talk about. But apparently some people call them the money ball of politics, like figuring out the system for using data for, in this case, where to direct money for the biggest effect. And one of the two people who was hosting it at the end said, you know, she has been basically devoting her life since the day after Trump was elected. And maybe that was a slight exact, maybe it was a week after, you know, who knows, but since right after he was elected to trying to make sure that he was not reelected. And what has kept her going, she said, was she does not want to wake up again and feel like, oh, if only I had done all that I could. And, you know, it, I'm very aware of not doing all I can, not by a long stretch. And yet I'm doing more than a lot of people I know. And, you know, my school year is about to start. Uh, we we're, we're going to be virtual for the beginning, at least a month. The first day of classes is, oh, a week from today. Mm-hmm. And the school is it's as if COVID is the only thing that's weird right now mm-hmm. that's difficult and challenging. There is no, no attention to the, f- the fact that we're in this extremely perilous moment. You know, I'm a Jew and I know lots of Jewish history. I studied a lot of it, at, you know, part of sometimes in Hebrew school growing up, but then for myself, wanting to actually try to understand a lot more. And one of the things anyone learns, like if they study certainly the Holocaust, but also other periods, is that things can get much worse as well as much better. And if you're not working to, to fight the forces are trying that are trying to make them worse, they will get worse. The inertia doesn't carry you forward. You know, the forces of greed, of hatred, of selfishness, if not opposed, then they are the ones that win. And, you know, I won't go on because, you know, we know, I'm sure your listeners know, you look at what's been happening these past four years and we have a real subversion of our basic democratic institutions. We have someone who's a demagogue stirring up hatred um, and using the playbook that has been used by other demagogues who sometimes have become dictators. And, you know, I'm not saying, yeah, Trump is going to become a dictator, but I wouldn't be su- surprised if we don't have um, violence if he gets um, defeated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like like this is the state of things that it's not ridiculous. In fact, it's quite rational to be thinking about how dangerous things are and, and to try to prepare for them and also then to try to prevent this. So this has been the background to like months for me of it's very hard for me to feel okay. Instead, I, I keep trying to remind myself to be okay. Try to be okay with not feeling okay. Try to feel okay about depressed a lot you know uh you know all, all, all that things like being anxious being semi-crazed but that's that's rational that's normal a, that's a response that makes sense
0: and i i think something that, that that's coming to mind as you you share this is just remembering to come back to the present moment mm-hmm. and and yes, it's I think it's very important to think about our future and to help uh, cultivate a a way forward that will hopefully be better for for all of us. And I just I hear the passion behind the words that you share, um, your words. And then also just speaking about the other people you have been working with. And I want, I want to say thank you for doing that work and, and also for just sharing a bit about it. You know, I, I think a lot of people like we discussed, uh, the other day, there's a lot of people that don't know how to contribute or what to do. And, and one of the things that comes to mind as I I share that is like, what is our capacity like as individuals, you know, like there's so much to navigate for all of us individually. And then with our close relationships, our families, our friends. Yeah. So we're, a lot of us are just like, okay, I want to stay safe in this moment. And then, okay, once I have the safety, it's like, okay, what else can I kind of address. And, um, so coming back to capacity, it's like, what, um, what capacity do, do you feel like you have and, and how do you cultivate that for yourself? Like what, what are the practices that you have that have really enabled you to have a little more space and time and energy to kind of put towards these other things?
1: Well, one thing I want to underline definitely that you said is is coming back to the present moment, because it it is really easy to spin off into, I guess, what some people call future tripping, right? And mm-hmm. when I think of some of the you know Buddhist training I've had, and I, I can't say that <laughs> I am not a, a uh, I'm not a, a model Buddhist. I'm more of a, you know, I, I for my fiftieth, I, I, birthday, uh, I asked friends to help this Jew relax, and I raised money to do a week at Esselin. So as, as you've been so, and it was a week of learning Buddhist uh, meditation. But one thing that stuck with me then was recognizing when I'm worrying. If the thing doesn't end up happening. Then the and the worrying hasn't actually trans uh, uh, transformed into some sort of practical action. Then the worrying has just ruined the present moment, right, and hasn't made anything better. And I I come from a line of world class worriers. not warriors, but worriers, My mom and my grandma, although my grandma was a warrior in her way, but so that one of coming back to the present moment definitely just trying to catch myself as I realize that I'm uh, caught in the imagining of what could happen mm-hmm. and instead come back to, well, what am I feeling? Because mm-hmm. the other danger for me with well, a skill that I, I really try to practice and it's going it's lifelong because I wasn't raised to do this is to not try to change what I'm feeling, particularly if it's unpleasant or painful, you know, anger, sadness, anxiety, you know, um, I can have those shoulds in my head. I'm like, oh, well you should meditate and feel good. You should be able to get perspective. And then fe-. it's like, no, that's bullshit. That's what one of the teachers at the uh, the workshop that I remember called the spiritual bypass. It's like, I don't have to actually feel the feelings I'm going drive my car off on this bypass. And it's a lovely, and I go mm-hmm. just go to the other side, rather than, yeah. you know, I think of, uh, there was a group called Sweet Honey and the Rock, that uh, they're um, African-American women, a singing group who, who used to sing a lot in the civil rights movement, and then after. And one of, their, one of the spirituals that they sang that always mm-hmm. hit me was Wade in the Water, Cause it's really going to be troubled water and it doesn't, you know, he's like, that doesn't make sense. Wait, wh- no, it's going to be troubled water. I better go the other direction. It's like, no, you better wade in the water. You got to go, you got to go straight through it. Mm-hmm. So it's that balance for me is one of the biggies. Like what am I feeling? Okay. Rather, uh, okay. I, I'm feeling so anxious that I'm stress eating. I'm feeling so anxious that I'm watching watching more porn <laughs> than is good for me. I'm feeling so anxious that you know I'm watching more nature nature documentaries till two in the morning. You know, like whatever it is, right? Um, and in, and try to just see what I'm feeling. What has enabled me to to do some political work towards the election is uh, roundabout early spring, late winter, early spring, I really started thinking more and more about the election. And I had done canvassing, you know, some in 2016 and some phone banking and things. And you know, that's better than not doing anything. But remember this is just before COVID. I was thinking I could do that again. But I've been so living my passion for bird watching you know, and studying birds and all this. And it hit me that I should try, I could try to mobilize birders to get involved in get out the vote work. And because birders are like, we're really weird and nerdy and passionate (laughs) about birding and usually have networks in a lot of places. And I came to learn that Unfortunately, a lot of birders and a lot of environmentalists aren't reliable voters. You know, the, the, the record of actually getting to the polls is not nearly as high as you would think. So I eventually, you know, talked with, finally hit on somebody, you know, someone who was a good collaborator for it. And we spent some months preparing this project, and we just launched it. Um, I'll say the name just now. Uh, birders will get it. It's called Awk the Vote. A-U-K, because the great auk was sort of like the penguin of the north uh, and it was it was hunted to extinction uh, and so we're we are now doing this project where we're reaching out to birders trying to get them to reach out to other ones and to keep funneling people in to get out the boat work and what gave me energy and what continues to do that is, they're very practical. It's like, what's the next step on this? What do I? Need? What's the next thing that can be done? I'm not doing it alone, which for me is key. Um, I collective action, even if it's with a small. In this case, for a while, it was just with one other person. Now we're slowly growing, but like that keeps me going. And it draws on talents that I have and skills that I have. So instead of my thinking, I should be doing X that I see somebody doing, but maybe I'm not so good at that. Whereas I really have talent in this Mm -hmm. and by, and and skills, I would say. And by this point I learned enough that like, I know how to delegate now. (laughs) I didn't used to. (laughs) So I I learned how to find people who have the skills I don't have. Um, And I can recognize what, what i can bring that now is magnifying my impact beyond what would still be good which is phone banking you know doing some postcarding i ranted <laughs> i uploaded this four four video series of rants to facebook and instagram yesterday about stupid activism <laughs> i was like i'm 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 so sick of stupid activism and it was about like stuff that's not practical That's, you know, calling me to, to, to get out and like scream in front of an empty building, say, or, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody suggested, I won't even go into details. It just was like, we need to be doing practical stuff. And I was ranting and it was fun. It was fun to rant. But in reflecting back on it, I think it's important to keep reassuring people that you don't have to do a huge amount. We just, let's try to do one step more than we're doing now, but make it a smart step. Think about it, right, you know, so that we're not wasting that energy. We're just carrying things a little further. Um, Because the more people who do that, you know, the more change you actually can create.
0: Totally. And I I think one of the things that I, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast is just if we want to see change in the world, it starts with us it starts from within and it will trickle out yeah um there's a really sweet uh, poem about that that process of a man who wanted to change the world and uh was unsuccessful on just kind of venturing out and doing something big and it it kind of goes through this whole like coming back to starting with himself then his family from his family to the community that they were living in then to the greater community and then eventually it it goes out you know and i i i think you you bring up a really good point about just taking like maybe one step at a time and and making it something within reason something that we can really we know that we're we're either passionate about or or we're good at or or something that kind of has some set of, um, energy behind it within us, you know, because if we're, we're doing things that we don't really want to be doing and we don't really feel comfortable doing then, or we're not sure of how to do it, 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 we're kind of spinning and, and not able to really have a clear path. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's, that's really uh, important for, for people to hear.
1: And I'm going to disagree somewhat and agree with part as well. I was very lucky as you know, as, as you know, I was very involved in act up when Mm -hmm. I was young. So when I graduated from, I graduated in 1986, you know, I moved to New York to, for dance and to find gay liberation. And I found dance And then there was nothing happening for about six or seven months in terms of gay organizing. Right. Then it was a really, uh, this really bad period right after the Supreme court, uh, upheld sodomy laws, upheld the right of states to criminalize gay sex. And there was this tiny little burst of activism, then infighting and other stuff. And it just, so for like six, seven months, I couldn't find anything. And then I saw a poster in the subway for a massive demonstration on wall street about AIDS. And I ended up going, I'd never been to a demonstration and I stood on the sidelines, but people's, there was something about their passion and their energy that attracted me enough that I went to the group's uh, meeting like a couple of nights later or something. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was, it was really very unlucky <laughs> to have, you know, come out into a world, a community that's where people are dying left and right, right? I mean, that was mm-hmm. horrifying. But to have my first experience of gay community be ACT UP New York, you know, so, so Larry Kramer just died, right, as you know, and Larry used to love to yell, Right? And you get off your ass and do something. But other, and that was totally necessary, but other people knew you had to laugh and have joy as well. And you had to be sexy. Like, especially with AIDS, we, we act up was so fucking sexy and we, we could be silly and funny and have fun. And I became a facilitator of the group and I won't go into like how that happened. I never expected it. But one of the things I found was I could, I could lighten the mood by showing up in, you know, wearing the the craziest earrings. I had, I had chandeliers. I had these chandelier earrings. I had like these sort of Regency chair earrings. I, and I, I would wear, you know, gender fuck. I'd wear sometimes sexy little tight skirts other times really silly, (laughs) you know, like you have to be able to laugh, let off steam as part of the activism, You know, it's it's an example of you have to be able to feel the life force that you're fighting for, and so one thing I think is sometimes people their what they their image of activism or the activism they've seen or even come in contact with is that like that guilt activism one that's all about shaking this finger at you and telling you you aren't good enough, and or it's by people who don't know how to do anything but burn themselves out. You know, so I totally agree about that. You got to be able to feel good. But where I, in a way, disagree is certain, I think, in emergencies, there's a danger in the approach of focusing main, like starting. I have to get my, do my own private interior work first, and then I will be able to. Now, if, if you're really, Yeah, you're the only one who can like we're each of us, the only one who can assess whether truthfully that is the case. Like there is nothing I can do at this moment, but actually make sure whatever it is that I'm not drinking or I'm not, I'm not killing myself or I'm not, you know, whatever, like sometimes self-care is absolute and, and internal growth is what must someone must do then. And, then that's that's for them to decide. But I think it's a simultaneous thing that when you, when you try to do the interior work and reach out to try also to be affecting things beyond you, you often discover, I certainly did. Oh my God, there was so much more I could do by, by joining with these other people. I mean, I, I never in a million years would have thought I could have facilitated like a room through full of hundreds of New Yorkers, you know, through arguing over AIDS, right, and what we were going to do about it. I never thought mm-hmm. I would ever be like risking arrest, getting you know, demonst- <laughs> you name it. The uh, there were so many things that act up that I wouldn't have done. If I hadn't just put myself out there a little bit and each of the things I did were uncomfortable at first, but the language, the language I use in our teaching now was, Oh, you want to get your, your students in the stretch zone, not the panic zone. So mm-hmm. in, in ACT UP, I was able to very often step into the stretch zone for myself and then discover I could do more than I thought and that I didn't have to do it alone. I didn't have to have all the answers. I didn't have to have all the skills. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do always encourage people to like, see if you can combine the internal work with something that still does take it you know, out. Because I think there's a trap sometimes of, of sometimes people waiting until they feel like they've done all the their personal growth before doing other stuff,
0: yeah, and 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 I think just to, I agree, <clears throat> and and I, I don't think I I was saying don't step into spaces if if you're not a hundred percent ready because I I don't really think we're ever a hundred percent going to like <laughs> right. be. Right. Yeah, you know, you think about people who are like, "Oh, I'm gonna get married once I have all of these things," or <laughs> yeah. "I'm," yeah, you know, like there, there are certain things in life that we, we say we want to get to this point, and then, and then we'll do it. And when there's something that is like time sensitive, and there's action that's need to be, that needs to be taken, of course, you know, and and honor what what, you know, in inside, I think is what I'm, what I'm speaking to. Um, something that, that you mentioned really, uh, sparked something for me. Um, just give me a second as I, I feel into that again. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, what I kind of envisioned as you're, you're talking about as you, you you got involved with act up it's like you became this living organism and (laughs) all of the people that were part of it kind of you you worked together you know and and Mm -hmm. you 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 found ways to elevate certain parts of this organism to to function more optimally Mm -hmm. and and I, I think that's a really beautiful thing. There's, there's something really special about coming together in that way and advocating for your rights and, and advocating for humans to be treated equally and, and not treated as if they're these second-class citizens Who have some sort of sickness or illness that uh, should be kind of deemed as sinful or, Mm -hmm. or as if it's, it's what their, their karma or, or what they deserve because of the decisions they're making. And that's where I'm really like, I've watched certain documentaries and and read about it and heard firsthand experiences of people that that went through that same experience that you're speaking about and to get through that and and to to see the change happen eventually I'm I can only imagine how amazing that felt and. And it, it also was really, really hard because I'm sure you lost a lot of friends throughout that time. There, there. It wasn't just this cakewalk that you went through. Like It, it comes with some sort of, I, I don't know if cost is the right word, but yeah.
1: For quite a while, I, God, there's so much in what you said. Well, I'll just say very Briefly, you know, I said I I moved to New York to find gay liberation. And when I went to that first ACT UP meeting after the demonstration, you know, I, I was interested, but I also thought, yeah, but I'm looking for gay liberation. And that's the big thing, not this limited thing of AIDS. I was very, very ignorant. I had been sheltered. But I very quickly saw that this was gay liberation in that moment. And yes, I was fighting you know to try to stop aids fighting for the people who I knew there who were infected and to etc but doing it was also fighting for me it was the most powerful uh i was living out what i didn't have growing up which was a belief that it was totally okay to be gay that it was a beautiful thing that i didn't have to be ashamed of this that instead this, this was a source of like, strength in my life. This was a gift, part of what I could give to the world. And collectively, that was part of what, you know, ACT UP wasn't all gay in New York, but it was mostly gay. And again, mo- coming from that place where, where you're really asserting your right to be on this earth and that, <laughs> that you're beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. For being who you are. What became hard was that for quite a while there there was nothing was slowing, there were no treatments, and as treatments came out they weren't good enough and people were just still dying and dying and dying. And uh so a lot of us after you know a number of years experienced one form of burnout or another. Uh and I I experienced depression for the first time then and, and I always liken this to, you know, like I decided I was going to get away for a week, um, just take a little break because I, I felt like I had only two emotions, grief and rage. You know, this was by about the second or third year into it. And back then there was this thing you could take a, a, you could buy a ticket on a courier flight where you didn't bring any baggage except for carry on. And the company used your luggage space, right. To send whatever, it usually was like doc, whatever it was document today, they wouldn't do this because it would be like fears of terrorism. But so I went to Amsterdam for a weekend and without going into details, like just from this one rejection from, <laughs> from this one boy that I had like a, we had a one night encounter and I wanted to see him again. He didn't want to see me again. I got, literally depressed i I had never experienced it where you know like i would then wake up and and this cloud would descend and i i didn't anyway it was depression and i realized took me a little while that it was like i had been walking further and further out on thinner and thinner ice for months without realizing it because the sense of needing to, to do more and more and more, especially as more people I love die. And I didn't then balance it with, as you said, what's my capacity. I know I quote unquote should that, that it's needed, but it took me, you know, getting depressed to realize, Oh, okay. You really need to, <laughs> you need to actually take care of yourself. Yeah. And that it's, there was somebody who who stood up right around that time on the floor of ACT UP, and and kind of he just impromptu spoke from the heart to tell us like we needed to change our mindset that this was not ending anytime soon, that that we had a we're going to have to be in this for the long haul, which was going to have to change the way we did things, and yet I still. I still say I experienced the community more powerfully than I ever had in my life as hard as it was. Yeah.
0: I get, I have chills just <laughs> kind of sitting with that, you know, and again, thank you for the work that you've, you've done and, and for really pouring your, your heart and your energy into these spaces to, um, make it possible to be, um, to be gay and, and to be loved and, and more accepted. <laughs> um, there is a lot of work that, that you and, and your friends and your community put in to, to make it so that we' we're, we're where we're at now you know and 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 i I think there's still work that that continually has to be done you know and I think about the civil rights movement and us us coming finally i I, I feel like we're finally waking up and, <laughs> and really really hearing things and and seeing things from a a different perspective, um, more so than, than in the past and, and collectively I, and, and it's not, it's not over, you know, that's like the, the tip we're just getting there. And there's so much, as you know, uh, unlearning (laughs) reprogramming, um, that has to be done and on our own like work, internally, uh, and, and collectively. And I, I, I think one of the things that I I noticed just in myself, even from two months ago, just how like, uh, worked up I was hearing about George Floyd's murder and, and seeing not the whole video, little clip of it and just being so just saddened and and disgusted by what I saw, and enraged, and and I, I I was actually thinking about this earlier today, just because of everything else that's going on around me right now. We're we're on an advisory, potentially have to evacuate because there's a fire nearby, and yeah. so so there's a lot of other things going on in in my world and in others worlds and and it's like there there's the upcoming election and there's this trauma and and healing work that needs to be done around systemic racism and and so many other things and 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 then my own emotional work that I'm doing like with my therapist yeah. and, and it's just it's so complex yeah. and and I I think something that we, we talked about earlier is, is coming back to the present moment so that we don't become overwhelmed so much that we can't yeah. stay regulated. Um, and I, I think about this, this term, the window of tolerance and in, in therapeutic realms, we, we want to keep if we're working with a a client, you want to help keep people within their window of tolerance mm-hmm. and not going into hyper arousal where they're in this state where they can't even control their emotions. And they're so anxious or whatever it might be, or going into hypo where they're completely shutting down mm-hmm. and just freezing or whatever else. Um, so, so that's something that I, I think also, um, is important to, to really bring in to this conversation as well as, is yeah. really making sure, tracking ourselves, noticing where we're at. If we're getting to this point where we're so anxious that we're unable to stay focused, it's like, take a step back, do something for yourself. That's going to help around. Yep. Bring you back into your body, yeah. Maybe out of your mind because so much there's so much to think about, and and with how much we're taking in on our devices from the news, from social media, like it's it can be overwhelming. Just just constantly seeing the same images or definitely the same headlines of, of articles, and and then the other thing about what's happening now is I think there's a lot of false news and and false things that are being put out there. So the other thing I try to track myself is like, okay, I see something, obviously I'm getting triggered and I need to to check into this a little bit more. Where's this coming from? What source is this coming from? Because I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, and and seeing something about human trafficking, and just being like, "Oh my God, is that really what's happening?" And and then you later on, I, I found out. Okay, well, that's it's not actually yeah. the case.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so yes to all of that, and like for me, um, you know, bird watching. It's funny, you know, like I, I always when I say it, I anticipate not you at this moment, but like other listeners, like, Oh, that's weird. Or, you know, like that, you know, birdwatching for me is the one thing I do that I, I actually experience it as spiritual. Like it's the one activity where my, uh, my fear of death drops away. like, the knowledge that I'm going to die and not be here usually terrifies me. always had since I was like a little kid, you know, like I do not, I have so much Buddhist work to do in that type of preparation. When I'm really caught up in bird watching, the existence of, of this beauty outside of me, but that I'm connected to, uh, then it's okay. And I also I just get like fascinated and not if I'm trying to see new species or see one that I hadn't seen recently, like like it, it has to be in the what's in front of me. I'm really looking at it. And I I get just I time, you know, like I lose track of time and my a lot of the chatter will drop out. There's always a voice. There's always a voice early on that says, what's the point of this? What, what, what good does this do? What, you know, I always have to go, hi, it's you again. Yeah. Right. Well, what's the point of anything? You could say that about anything I do. So thank you, but I'm going to get back to the bird watching now. And I really like, so that's one of the things I've discovered for me, like it's not trivial for me. It really is something I can't even, I don't even know exactly why it touches something so deep. The other thing that, that some, I don't know, is something that you've said that made me think of uh, my my lover, my late lover, Warren, who died in 1992, who really who was the love of my life, certainly up to this point. Um, and And he was someone who didn't, I discovered after he died by reading his letters and stuff, so, you know, he was dyslexic. He he and I were so different in many ways. You know, I was super academic and he had barely, you know, made it through high school. Uh, I was really, really political and he was really emotional. <laughs> he taught me to cry. Um, uh, I had so much shame and inhibition around sex and he, he was 10 years older and he had really really explored his sexuality. And that especially when a lot of it was with the beginning of safe sex, he had to find a way for, to to live his sexuality and right. Sometimes not even have being physical contact. I mean, he really had to get creative and he was a massage therapist, very, I, w- I used to say, say to him, like, you're really woo-woo. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm here, you're <laughs> like, so woo. But he was really amazing. I very much have to remind myself to draw on his memory and his example as something empowering and loving, not as I am not living up to, you know, you your example instead. Yeah. Right. To, to internalize the, and I think for a lot of us, it's like, do we find, cause you mentioned the civil rights movement that can be really empowering to learn about what people have risked and, and done, or it can be, and I'm so not good enough. I, I, don't do X, Y, or Z, or I'm afraid to do X, Y. like. And again, it does get me back, I think you're, you're, there's something that you know, you're very rooted in the, the internal, and how central that is. And it really is. And I don't think I would have. I don't know how I would have survived the, the pain of losing Warren, if he hadn't taught me the emotional skills to do
0: it and i i think about something and around how there's there's so many different types of intelligences you know you can be intellectually intelligent you can be emotionally intelligent you can be artistic there's so many and and i i think our culture like there are certain things that are kind of put up on to a pedestal and And I'm really all for like helping people find what it is that, that they, they really bring to the, to the world and, and, and not, not putting this box around what it needs to be, but letting it be their authentic expression. And it's, it's, easy to to kind of hold ourselves to expectations that that our parents or that our religions or s- s- institutions have, have kind of put on to us and and ultimately I I've found the most like joy and happiness uh, through through following like my heart and following the work that that I I love so much and and I I know people who, who have also done done that similarly in in their lives, and um, and then there's there's people that I work with who are so unhappy with the work that they're doing, but they they did it because that's what they thought they had to do, and and one thing that that I also want to highlight is it's never too late to. <laughs>
1: Oh my start God. a new hobby
0: yeah. to to study something new and 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 to maybe even revisit things that excited us when we were much younger.
1: Oh, totally! I, I'm I may be the poster child for it's never too late or one of them because you know, like so much of what of who I am now, day to day is has been about, I don't know, re-experiencing, reclaiming things that really brought me joy and that I, I lost track of during those years of, of grief after Warren died. You know, I settled for a really, after I was single for 10 years after he died from like 20, when I was 27 to 37 and, you know, had a couple of short-term things that I'd fall for people and then it didn't work out. And I finally settled, and I ended up in a nine-year relationship that should have been two. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like we're friends again now, but we were not friends for several of those years at the end, right? And and it's a relationship in which sex was not good. We were not sexually compatible, and it sort of reinforced we had we had a very we had a don't ask, don't tell without even saying that. And it reinforced shame and secrecy. And, you know, like, as you know, like I've been working with Finn to like (laughs) sort through that and, and grow in ways that I do wish I had, you know, I I wish I had taken some, a, a right or, you know, a left when I went right at certain points, but then again, you know, I'm who I am because of the sum total of my experiences, and if you're lucky enough to live long enough, yeah, there's a there's a new ch- there's a chance every day to. I also have really bad. I, t- I took some really bad nonprofit jobs, bad in the sense where the mission was good, but the day to day was miserable, miserable. <laughs> and I got back into teaching, you know, particularly with this job because I realized when I when I did this, there's something every day that brings me joy. In my teaching, and it's usually some interaction with one of the students. Uh, just that shouldn't be a luxury. You know, that should be something we think like, yeah, maybe that should be my baseline. Can be my baseline. Uh, yeah, the bird watching is. I lost track of that for a number of years. Wearing earrings. <laughs> I mean, it it sounds like a small thing, but it's actually that that little bit of gender fuck brings me such joy. Um, you know, and I had stopped doing that for a while.
0: Mm -hmm. It really sounds like there's parts of you that have, have, have started to come, come back online and in new ways and new iterations. And I, uh, I really, yeah, just, I think for me, just seeing you wear these different (laughs) earrings and, and like you love it and you just own it, you know, like I, myself, I remember being a little boy and like putting my mom's clip on earrings and doing it then, but I never like, would you see me do that now? No,
1: (laughs) no, (laughs) it's amazing that, you know, when, when I first started doing that in, it was, I'd say 87 because it was the first year backed up and this was in New York city. And I knew that I had to feel good to go out because, you know, there could be abuse. Like uh, I had to be in a frame of mind where I wasn't going to take it in. But twice in the course of a year, someone shouted something like, who do you think you are? George Michael. And (laughs) it's because he was the only visible person in like the media and the culture at that time, man, who wear earrings in both ears, because left ear yeah. was okay, that was straight. <laughs> right ear was okay. supposedly good, but like we've we haven't even advanced beyond that now. Like the the self policing about men's gender presentation is really still. Mm-hmm. I think with 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 trans and non binary stuff, where there's more pushing of those boundaries, but even so, for unless you're you're identifying that way. I'm amazed at how many people still stare when I go out with a pair of, you know, dangly earrings. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I, I do, I do
0: have my ears pierced and I actually wear plugs that are roses. And, uh, they, they are, they're opalites, so when the the light hits them, they kind of change colors from like blue to like this orangish color, and I love that. And one thing I did do um, a couple of years ago is I, I put like dangly earrings in while I had the plugs in, just like underneath, and let it hang. And there was one like I, I did it on one ear, and I I really liked it. So you're you're inspiring me to maybe <laughs> step into that again.
1: There's there's no sh- there's no should in it. and I wished (laughs) it took a while for somebody to tell me, uh, David, still, you have to choose earrings that like fit the shape of your face. It doesn't, it was like, (laughs) you can't just wear any, (laughs) not any, (laughs) well, you can, if you want, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And again, you know, it's, it's finding that joy, uh, well, and finding your, your authentic self, which is not static either. It's not static moment to moment and it's not static over time. So it, it's ever changing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I, um I like to ask people as, as I kind of bring things to an end, one, one final question and you've talked about joy quite a bit. And <laughs> yeah, since you also are a bird watcher, what, like can you think of a moment in in bird watching that's brought you a lot of joy or the most joy
1: well I can't do the most I can never figure out the most but <laughs> I mean what, what suddenly popped into my head was a moment uh, probably it was probably last April because we were we were in the uh, shelter in place but we were still allowed to take walks and I took a walk to a neighborhood. I, I started like in the evening, I would take these evening walks and I would just walk places I hadn't been. And it was amazing that I would discover like, Oh my God, I've lived in, in Oakland. How long now? And I've never in this apartment for three years. And I've never been, you know, like to a place I could walk to 15 minutes away. 10. One evening I was, I was, walking along one of these neighborhoods. And I noticed uh, a bird called a Buick's Wren. So Wren, W-R-E-N. Wrens are these little birds. And they, for their size, they're some of the most vocally powerful birds. They're some of the loudest for their size. of any. And they, they're like, there's something. They usually cock their tails up. And they're, they've got attitude. And I saw one of these taking a dust bath at the end of someone's driveway, and then and that's when they clean themselves. I think it's something about uh, it can help kill parasites and things. So they like they get in on the dust and they f- like fluff it over their backs and they do these little. And then another one joined it, and another. And I was just, I must have stood there for for about forty five minutes, just like watching these little birds taking their little dust baths. <laughs> and I, I was wanting to like find strangers to say, "Look at this! Isn't this cool? Isn't this amazing?" And I don't know. It was. It was like I, I was so happy, and it was an evening. Oh, I forgot it was an evening where I almost didn't go out. I was just feeling so down and feeling, like, "Oh, what's the mm-hmm. point?" And I can't, I can't go to the parks that I really love to go to because they've been shut down now. And and instead, I, you know, it was like doing that, remembering something all the way from when I was a peer to peer counselor in college, when you were, when you were going to help somebody who had depression, one of the catchphrases was something about it's like act first and the feelings will follow. Don't wait until you feel good enough to do X, try going out with your friends or try doing this. And the feelings you may find that they follow. And Oh my God, that has gotten me through these past few months. Wow. But that, those were those runs. I'm telling you, that was pure <laughs> joy for me. Pure joy.
0: Oh, sounds sweet. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd love to also um, share, if possible, your, if you're open to it, your Instagram so people can see some of the mm. pictures and just, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Find out more about you. What is your Instagram tag?
1: My Instagram tag. Oh yeah. It's a DVD Robinson. It's like David with no vowels or if you're old enough, a DVD, which I hear the young people don't know about DVD, (laughs) DVD Robinson. And uh, it does kind of give you a good picture of me because it is. uh, Yeah. It really does.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Well, Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a real pleasure and an honor. I really, I was so moved when you asked me because you are a beautiful, beautiful soul. And I don't say this to a lot of people and it'll make me cry, but you do remind me in a way of Warren. there's, there's a certain, there's a certain, uh, it may come from being a certain type of body worker. Hmm but there's, there's just, I can't, can't say anymore. There's something that, that uh, you're a really beautiful soul. So thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening today. If any of you'd like to find out more about the work that I do, you can go to samsebastian.com. That's samsebastian.com, ncom And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to me via email. That's Sam at SamSebastian.com.
1: Much love.